Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is Somewhere in the Skies with Ryan Sprague. Welcome, everyone, to Somewhere in the Skies. I am your host, Ryan Sprague, and I have a very special UFO roundtable for you today. We have three of the members of UAP Media UK with us today. That's Andy McGrillen, Dave Partridge, and Dan Zetterstrom. And I'm not going to waste any more time. We're going to bring these guys in because it's getting late over over in the UK. And um, I can't believe this is happening for the first time ever. These are three first-time guests on the show. So without further ado, gentlemen, welcome to Somewhere in the Skies. Hey. Thanks, man. It's been a long time listener. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And I can say the same for all of you. Huge fans of everything you guys are doing. And um, I'm not really going to waste any time um, kind of, you know, I what would be the word? I'm a very forgiving interviewer, if you guys haven't noticed on my show, whereas Andy is one who just trims the fat and goes straight for the the uh, questions. So we're going to talk a little about that gentleman in the poster behind you there my man, about your recent interview <laughs> with uh, Mr. Luis Elizondo. But uh, before they do that, I did want to, I wanted to give a toast to you guys for your new endeavor over there. I've got um, British breakfast tea. Um, so I hope I'm doing it right. Got the right amount of milk and sugar in here. So um, yeah, I've got my Highland tea. tea right. So yeah. Ooh, Cheers. nice. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Everyone's good. Everyone's hydrated. Um, well, before we get to everything I want to talk about with you guys. Um, I'd love for my audience to get to know you guys a little bit. For some of them that may not be familiar with what you guys are doing in terms of the UAP topic and issue over there in the UK, um, who are you guys? And um, what got you first interested in UFOs? Yeah, tell us a little about yourselves, if you don't mind. I guess we'll go, um, we'll go Andy, if you don't mind starting first. Yes. Um, hi to all the listeners. And like Dan, I'm, I'm a listener, long time listener as well. So I'm having to remember that I'm not listening to your show and I have to talk back to you when you speak to me. So <laughs> just in case at any point I, I forget to respond. I'm like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, uh, my name's Andy McGrillen. Uh, it's like the start of a bad joke. A Scotsman, an Englishman and a Welshman uh, walk into a, a podcast. Um, but yeah, I started the, my podcast last April, late April with um, lockdown and everything kicking off and Listen to podcasts like yourself, Ryan, hearing some so many cool guests, but there's a lot of podcasts out there that I don't think do it quite as well. And I had the idea to be being passionate about UFOs and, and UAP, as it's now more commonly known in the community. Do you know what? Lockdown had kicked off and there wasn't a whole lot to do. And um, I bought a microphone and 
shoddily set up a podcast and it kind of kicked off from there. Um, and I've been really lucky with the, the guests I've had on and meeting great people like yourself, Ryan. You've been a guest on my podcast. You were really good to come on really early. Um, I got to know Dan through the podcast early as well and Dave more recently too. And obviously, um, I'll just mention straight away Adam, who's also part of UAP Media UK, who um, Ryan wasn't allowed to be on the podcast tonight because of his face. No, I'm, I'm just joking. <laughs> um, I, I, Adam's not on the podcast because he's got, he's got other plans, but uh, we're repping him here. So. But yeah, I've met a lot of cool people, and uh, yeah, so I've got uh, that UFO podcast. If uh, shameless plug on your show, but I'm sure you'll do that for me anyway. So that that's oh me. yeah, <laughs> we'll get there. Dave, would you mind telling us a little about what got you interested in UFOs and and your huge endeavor that you're doing right now as well? Um, well, I guess the first time would have been opening up Carl Sagan's book, uh, Cosmos, and you know, being a curious six, seven, eight year old, going straight to the uh, ET section. Um, saw these three little dudes at the bottom, illustrated, it was kind of like a hobbit, a uh, grey and a werewolf or something like that. And my interest just grew from there to the teens. I bought um, like Timothy Good's books. Um, and then kind of drifted away from the subject, got back into it about six years ago, went down the rabbit hole deep, um, wanted to make some sort of sense of you know, what I was learning. And with a background in magazine design, I just thought, you know, what better way to share what I'm learning with other people than to put it in a magazine format. Um, So I did that. And Ryan, you were gracious enough to be one of the first interviewees. And I think you appeared in the second issue. And you've you've supported the mag from, like, day one, basically. So, you know, I'm really appreciative of that. And, um, yeah, I took 2019 off and, you know, like Andy, because of lockdown in the UK, I was bored. So I decided, you know, I've got these interviews left over from last time. I might as well just relaunch. And from there, it's kind of got a bit of momentum behind it and it's going from strength to strength. And with what I've got planned in the future, for future issues, it is going to be very exciting. Awesome, man. And I mean, I can't stress this enough the the work and the quality that you put into this thing the passion is just so so uh, uh palpable i i just can't believe that this is a one-man army making this thing so i have to commend you um on just the incredible work that you've done in not only getting the uap issue out there but many other mm-hmm. topics as well and you know having to do with the unexplained and yeah. just the esoteric so no i i'm i'm extremely grateful that you reached out to me early on and i've been a fan ever since and i'm yes, another yeah. fan of dan as well so dan tell us my man how did you get involved with the uap topic how'd you meet these ruffians and uh yeah how what what do you got for us my man so my my interest goes back as long as I can remember, really. <clears throat> um, the the earliest uh, example of uh, something UFO related would be uh, the opening episode of season two of the X Files. I caught it late night on TV uh, when I was a kid, and just after that, I got given an award in school for being the ET of my class. And it's just been an interest ever since then, really. Um, I was big into Tom DeLonge's music. Um, you know, it was kind of split 50-50 in my life. And then, as we all know, Tom got the interest come over here. Both things smushed together. And uh, I find myself with all my time taken up with the uh, the UAP issue now. That's awesome. I mean, I love hearing the origin story of everyone's interest in this topic because it's, it's different for everyone. Some people had an experience. Some just had a, a spark 
whether it was a book or a movie or a television show. So I guess before we get to uh, kind of the main reason I want to have you guys here to talk about UAP Media UK, um, have any of you had a personal UFO sighting? Is that something any of you are willing to share here with us today? Andy, I see you shaking your head, my man. Would you mind sharing with us first your personal encounter, if you've had one? Yeah, two. Um, two good ones. I've, I've I've been lucky to where I live the last seven or eight years in the north of England, although I'm Scottish, uh, as people can probably tell from the dodgy accent. I hope Ryan's subtitling this for everyone. Um, <laughs> that uh, it was quite a clear sky, so you're always seeing things that are probably satellites and whatnot. But now and again, you get something makes a bit of a funny turn, but it's always a, a light in the sky. But I had two particularly good ones. I, I've been lucky growing up. One, I was about... Um, eight maybe nine years old I think maybe ten and I was basically coming home from you get the boys brigade in the UK I don't think you get that in the US but it would be like the scouts um oh. and I, I was leaving that one evening with my mum my sister um and my friend and his mum and we weren't far from where we stayed and it's a very like um uh, I think suburban area for any US listeners you know for the UK typical neighborhood and nine o'clock at uh, night winter night clear sky and actually wasn't even in the sky as we looked along this road about a, a mile in the distance, half a half a mile, three quarters of a mile, something like that. I'm not military. I don't know the distance, but it, was, it wasn't too far. It was about a five minute walk. It looked like a Ferris wheel on its side. And I've kind of got that UFO for a reason on my uh, on my top. Um, if you imagine a Ferris wheel would be normally straight up, but this was at an angle like that. But it was spinning like super fast, like ridiculously fast. So it wasn't a Ferris wheel, and there was also no carnival or anything on that night. Um, so this this thing was almost on the ground. You couldn't see the bottom of it because the houses in the, uh, along the road were were blocking the view, and it was just spinning and spinning and spinning. Now, we I remember we looked along, and I said to my mum and our friends, "Look at that!" And they were like, "Oh yeah, that's actually interesting." Bear in mind, this thing must have been fifty feet potentially on a really busy built-up area um, at nine o'clock at night. So there's plenty of people about. We just crossed the road and went home. Um, I, I lived in a high-rise tower block of, of apartments or flats. And if I'd gone out the back that night, I would have been able to see down to the area where it was. And I never did because I was too scared. I was quite young. Um, I always kind of regret not going out to look. But it's so crazy because this thing was pretty big and it was really low on the ground and spinning and on its side. And no one, no one saw it or reported it or talked about it but this was like the mid 90s so there was no social media no internet as such um no mobile phones no pictures no nothing um even now my mum's heavily skeptical of the whole alien ufo subject uap but she remembers it but just totally dismisses it being anything out of the ordinary um so that was that was the first one and then the other one was a, a kind of standard black triangle um a year gone in december I was driving home from work, six o'clock, I live in re relatively rural area, now a lot of fields, and I, I noticed that on this kind of back road, a, a van had pulled over, and the guy was hanging out his window looking up, and when we looked up in the sky, you could see two lights that were just hovering, and it looked like that either side of a, an aircraft, but then I noticed as I kept driving, this wasn't moving, and I drove underneath it, and I could make out the, the black triangle shape in the sky, maybe 100 feet off the ground. Being interested in what I'm interested in, I, as quickly as I could, pulled into someone's house, tried to reverse out to go back and see this black triangle hovering in the sky because I could still make out the lights. This this old couple came out the house because I just pulled onto their driveway to try and reverse off. 
and he asked me, you know, oh, can I help? And I said, I'm really sorry. I'm just looking at that along there. And I pointed and this thing was still just hovering above the trees. And he looked and he went, oh, yeah, it just shows you there's definitely other things out there, isn't there? And he just walked away. <laughs> it was so blasé. Uh, so I turned out and as I went to drive along, a third light had came on in the front and was blinking like rapidly. And it just moved diagonally over the trees. But by the time I got back along to the open field, it, it wasn't there. It was gone. So that was my wow. two pretty good ones. You know, that I love to like the reactions that people have to these things. I mean, some people like like the uh, the gentleman. Oh, yeah, 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 definitely. That was probably aliens <laughs> from Zeta Reticuli. Um, <laughs> yeah. Whereas for you, I'm sure it was an impactful thing that changed your life as I know it was for me. I saw a black triangle as well. Um, I, I'd love to get your guys' thoughts on the triangles a little later here. Um, I've kind of come to a, a determination of what I think it was. But um, yeah, Dave, Dan, have either of you had a personal brush with the UFO phenomenon that you'd be willing to share? Um, sighting, no. Experience, possibly, but unconfirmed. Okay. Um, don't know, I kind of keep it a little bit more private. But when I was growing up, it was kind of, um, well, when I was growing up, different story completely. We lived in this old former mill, needle mill, which um, in the middle of Worcestershire, which is a county in England. And it's always had some kind of, you know, like paranormal activity associated with it. So there'd be like the feeling of someone sitting on the end of your bed every now and again, um, floorboards would creak. Uh, doors would slam in the middle of the night and you'd have no idea why this was going on. Um, and other members of my family as well, they've had their own experiences where after my maternal grandfather died, um, my aunt was, was sitting in her lounge and she just looked across and she could see him sitting on the next floor in the armchair next to her and she had a conversation with what she thought was his spirit. So whether that was him, you know, kind of telling her like a final goodbye or something like that, she's never really known. But it's that kind of thing where kind of like what Robert Bigelow's trying to do now is like, is there an afterlife that we can get in contact with? Um, and I think my, probably my maternal grandmother as well, she may have got in touch with me when I was unemployed. I was looking for a full-time job and it was the last day of the application deadline and I've been debating about getting into full-time work for a while because I was freelance for a bit and I just got whiff of her perfume like right towards the deadline of the application so I just took that as a sign sent it in got the job two days later after an interview um, met two guys in the in the office and they started talking to me about UFOs and everything else you know paranormal cryptos and it was from there that my interest in UAPs and the unexplained got rekindled. So it's like, was that my grandmother saying, go for this job because that is your new direction? Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's weird. Interesting. That is yeah, weird. I mean, I, I think I emailed you when you were in Hawaii, uh, a big, long, rambling email about an experience I had in Barcelona, but I cannot confirm that. <laughs> But it involves sleep paralysis. And I haven't even told these guys yet. So, you know, I kind of, until I kind of get more of a feeling of what that was, I'm going to keep it on the, uh, 
keep the memory banks for now. Of course, man. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, and that's the thing too. Like I never, I, you can't force this thing on people. You really mm. can't. If someone doesn't want to tell their story, they don't want to tell their story. And while I'm a huge advocate for as many people coming forward as possible, it's just not something that people, uh, are willing to talk about a lot. I, I see that changing. Yeah. And, um, you know, you've got a personal journey of your own in trying mm. to figure out what that is before, you know, really interpreting it to other people, I would say. So um, yeah, maybe it's really that. interesting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Dan, Dan, how about you, brother? Any, any personal experiences with the unknown you'd be willing to share? A lot. And, oh, and I say this knowing that I promised you a, a voice recording for your um, for your witness accounts. Uh, podcast, I remember. And I still haven't got around to giving that to you. So I guess this is my, <laughs> now my is the time. Now. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I've had a lot of weirdness in my life, thinking back a long way. And I don't know if a part of that was because I've always been aware of it, because I've always been very interested in in the subject. Um, one, one of the earliest experiences, uh, that I remember is having an imaginary friend as a kid, which isn't too, too crazy. Um, but it was only after kind of getting heavily into this subject that a picture, I, you guys should be able to see this, a picture like this that I drew of my imaginary friend when I was a kid reminds me of, um, you know, the Hopkinsville uh goblin case um and so it kind of led me to question some of those early experiences and why i thought about them i have a long history of sleep paralysis um and i've experienced it enough to kind of you know start feeling out uh how i can solve it when i'm in those states um so you start getting some interest in effects um and that always happens to me around March to April, every single year without fail. And I don't know if it's something that's psychosomatic and I bring it on around those times of the year or whether something else is going on. But that's kind of a, a journey that I'm on kind of discovering. Um, as well as that, I'll, I'll give you one of my best UFO sightings. Um, so this was on a Friday night. Uh, my girlfriend was over. Um, I like this story because she was with me um, and multiple people seeing the the phenomena is, is always a bit more compelling, I find. Um, so she was in the kitchen dishing everything up and I stepped outside to finish a cigarette. Um, and it's always nice to kind of look at the stars on a cold night. Um, so there I am looking up and I look over my house and I can see just in a line four orbs and they're not going moving through the sky in a straight line. They're going very, very fast, and they're kind of going in a wavy motion, and I can't quite focus on them. They were more kind of look like they were in a bubble, and I could kind of see the shimmer of a light that was in the bubble. It was very weird to explain, but I basically called out to Laura as soon as I saw them. She came out and saw them just as they went over the horizon, and we were just ecstatic. You, you just Something like that forever changes you. You know, it, for, for all of the discussion we have about this in public, when you see it, you just know. And that's that, you know, <laughs> it, it's good to bring other people on board, but it really does change your life when everything's seen through the lens of we're not alone. No, you're, you're completely right, my man. I mean, 
these events, no matter what they are, they change people in so many different ways. And uh, you guys know that's what I'm all about is the people having those experiences. So I really have to thank all of you for sharing those with me today. Um, well, let's get to, I guess, fast forward to 2021, um, this new endeavor that you guys announced just a few weeks ago, if I'm not mistaken. But I know, you know, the history of getting there has been a little longer. So um, how did UAP Media UK come about? I know, um, I know that Adam was another big part of this as well. So if one of you or all of you want to jump in, tell us a little about how this came to be what the uh, the Endeavor stands for, and yeah, maybe just a little about what you guys are trying to do over there in the UK. Can I kick off with the, the prefix? Yeah, this is like the, if, uh, <laughs> I, I was going to say old. Andy should talk because he never, he hosts, so uh, go ahead. <laughs> Take up all the time you want. <laughs> um, so if we'll get to episodes four, five, and six in a minute, but the prequel uh, was <laughs> my, myself and Dan, but... Um, having a conversation and I won't name names about a a, a UK based um, experiencer who was going to be appearing on imagine ESPN have like a radio show and uh, they don't talk about UFOs on ESPN in America you know so in the UK there's there's a big sports radio show and uh, in the evening late night they have kind of different kind of guests on and they're all kind of weird and wacky and they basically announced they were going to have this guy on to talk about UFOs and his experiences and it wasn't the type of person, and I'm not d- discrediting what has happened or not happened in his life and if he is experiencing what he says, but it's just not the type of person you want representing the topic, given the discussion that they're going to have. Um, and, and myself and Dan noted that that was really frustrating, that that's how the UK tends to pick up on the topic. Um, it's still kind of laughed at and mocked and joked about, and that's what happened on this show. It was a show about soccer, football, um, and, and they just wanted to kind of laugh at the guy, which was a shame. Um, and there's a really good conversation to be had in the mainstream. And I think you've got to be, you know, Ryan, you'll know you're, you're, you're a personality and it comes across and you can be charismatic and entertaining, but you can discuss the topic in a really subjective and objective way. And you know, if someone has a conversation with you who has a fringe interest in the topic, Fringe might be the wrong word, given what we're talking about, but they've got just a passing interest and they, they still want to laugh at it a bit because they don't understand and they want to mock it. You, you can joke along, but keep bringing them back to the serious aspects of the topic and bring them in, you know, the, the military history, the scientific history, what's going on now. You know, we don't have to talk about little green men and flying saucers, but that's that's what it's like in the UK. Um, so me and Dan had spoken. It was like, it'd be great to be able to represent, you know, w- within the UK, uh, and offer up uh, a platform to, to, you know, to newspapers, radio broadcasts. And listen, we're not talking massive national level here, but literally it was, you know, if someone wanted to talk about UFOs, they could come to a group based in the UK and we could offer up opinion and relevant opinion. Um, and at the time, we were obviously really getting to, I was getting to know Dave much better as well. Um, we already spoke to, to Adam uh, on Twitter and he'd, he'd been doing what he's been doing for a couple of years now, you know, activism, which is essentially what it was. Um, and we all just kind of got in touch and Dave and Adam shared the same sorts of ideas that, you know what, we would love to have that same similar conversation. And I think given we all had different mediums and backgrounds, it was um, quite natural and easy to kind of bring that together. I'll, I'll let the, the guys come in on, on that as well. I've not misremembered anything, have I? No, I think that's, yeah, probably is how it all started. Um, I mean, like Andy said, the UK press kind of, 
likes to make a joke of the UAP subject. You know, a couple of newspapers aside, because I think it's the Independent and the Guardian who actually do cover it from time to time. But then you get other papers which will they'll include, um, they'll basically just rewrite someone's blog. Um, some guy who calls himself a self-proclaimed UFO expert. Um, I think we kind of all know who that is. Um, especially in the UK, but, you know, he's not part of UFO Twitter. He's not part of the UAP research community. He's just some guy who scours Google Earth or looks at the Mars rovers photos, draws little faces, picks up on shadows, claims that rocks eat crashed saucers or, you know, there's giant aliens wandering around Antarctica on Google Earth. These are the kind of stories that get the notoriety in the UK press. Alternatively, you get the broadcast media who will run like the X Files theme tune or the Twilight Zone theme tune, and that immediately kind of discredits the information that they're going to purvey next. Which I think that needs to be stamped out because how old is the X Files now anyway? It's like thirty years old, or showing my age there. <laughs> but I think um, it's kind of just this whole stigma just never goes away in the UK. And even a couple of weeks ago, the front page of the Star on Sunday had this big picture of a, a UFO in the background above Rendlesham Forest, and it said SAS versus ET. And inside the story was like, the SAS is an elite unit of 20 soldiers ready to combat extraterrestrials if they ever land. Yeah. And it's like, well, you're going to need a lot more than 20 for a start. Um, but this is just, why is that making front page news? Um, it was just like two paragraphs inside. So it's it's all sensationalism and they do it just for clicks and readers and they just try and dump down the subjects and that's what we want to try and discourage. We want the conversation to be elevated to a level where we can have a serious talk about it. Um, you know, it's been talked about at academic level. I mean, you've both, both you and Andy have spoken to um, Abby Loeb recently. Um, so this has been... The subject's been discussed at, you know, that kind of level, and there's no reason why the British press can't get involved as well. It might be they just don't know who to turn to, or they don't want to put in the research, or they don't want to be looked at as the UFO guy. Mm-hmm. Right, and know. I think too, I think too, Dave, you're right. Um, you know, it gets overshadowed because the United States is just such a, you know. God has a monopoly on this topic. It seems when it comes to media press and um, look, it's still stigmatized and ridiculed here as well. Um, But, but you're right. I mean, we have the New York times and, and the New York post and Washington post, what have you um, trying, trying to catch up, I think, and take this topic seriously. And you've had amazing individuals who've helped make that happen. People like Christopher Mellon or Luis Elizondo or uh, a Leslie Kane or Ralph Blumenthal uh, to show that you can, you can take this topic seriously in journalism and uh, not have to use the little green man or flying saucer, uh, you know, kind of memes that we're all used to. So um, no, it's good to know that you guys have created a place where the press can go and be like, okay, here's this, here's this. Let's put something together. So, I mean, it moving past just, um, you know, highlighting articles 
over at mm-hmm. UAP Media UK. Are there any other endeavors that you guys are trying to undertake? I know here in the U.S., we're trying to get this big thing going with um, talking to our uh, our Congress people and our senators and whatnot. And um, rumor is that you guys are kind of trying to get something similar going on over there as well. Does anyone want to talk on that front? Um yeah, absolutely. Um, ideally, it, it would be great to join forces with the big phone home and do it at the same time. Um, the UK is part of the Five Eyes Intelligence Network. You know, there there are political associations. There's what um, our prime minister refers to as a special relationship uh, with America. So I, I think there's a, there's a lot of potential there. Well, I think the most important thing is uh, coming together. You know, I, I feel like all these endeavors begin and then they start to splinter off into different camps or different uh, tribes, as we call it here in America of, um, you know, you've got the UFO Twitter crowd who is very into one thing, but not willing to look at another. Um, Whereas I've spoken to all three of you um, at length off air uh, and, and realized, wow, okay, we have more in common than we don't, which I think is important too. And when you look at something like UFO Twitter, which all of us are members of, um, you find a community that's so passionate that they're willing to have those debates and arguments. And when you have people, you know, condescending something like a UFO Twitter saying, oh, it's just a bunch of trolls, you know, just shouting to the shouting in an echo chamber. Um, that's simply not the case. There's incredible conversations going on over there. So, um, I, I guess kind of playing off of that, um, Let's talk about, Andy, this interview you just did with Mr. Luis Elizondo. Now, I've gone on the record in saying this is probably my favorite interview that has been done with Luis Elizondo to date. Um, You were able to, I think, pull a humanistic side out of this guy who's not willing to share a lot about his personal life, um, which is just amazing. I remember, like, I, I I started listening to it. When I went outside and I said, I'm just going to walk around my block, listen to a little bit. And dude, I ended up walking like four miles away from my apartment just so I could hear the whole thing without stopping. So um, tell us a little about the interview. And then there's a couple specific things I want to ask you about how it went and get all of your thoughts. But um, yeah, what is your general thought on how that interview went? Um, it's, it's funny how you were listening back to my interview when you were walking. When I got the phone call, to say that I was going to uh, be getting the interview and when it was going to be, I was listening to your interview out walking. Um, and I, I'm not even joking. That's not me blowing smoke up, Ryan's, you know, whatever. Um, so, yeah, um, I, I'm going to give Dan a shout out here because even like with the, the questions, I had written a, a raft of questions after listening to John Greenwald's Black Vault interview that I, I really liked. Um, there were some things that I, he never talked about that I was, oh, that'll be good. Um, and then I listened to yours. Again, I thought it was a great follow-up to John's. You didn't cover the same ground that John had either. So I felt, and how I introduced my interview, and I meant this, was that I really saw it as a part three to those other two interviews. Um, and I immediately got into it and just followed on some some kind of different question paths. And just about 45 minutes, half an hour before I actually spoke to Lou, myself and Dan were actually still sitting poring over the wording of the questions and Dan would say what about asking this and oh but not use that word what about this and then Dan would come back with okay that's good but add in this so we were still messing about with just the wording to make sure everything we asked got the most out of it but also allowed Lou to 
to share without he doesn't like to give his opinion because he doesn't feel it's entirely relevant, which is incredible. Um, but we wanted to make sure he he didn't give too many I can't discuss stats, um, and it was really for for the audience as much as we're asking Lou the questions. It's people seek out Lou. Lou and his answers. Um, the, the interview, I, I loved it. It was great. It flew by. Ryan, you'll know, sixty minutes is, is not a long time. Um, yeah. So I, as I was doing it, I was I had Dan on assisting as well in, in the background with it, and we're mentally editing the show live as I was doing it and taking out questions I was going to ask because I had a whole list and you know it's things change as Lou brings them up and just trying to link all that stuff together and the feedback yeah has been incredible. Um, it's a bit of a dream and like I, I tweeted it's that cheesy you, you don't meet your heroes but genuinely Lou is someone I've got a lot of respect for especially in this subject and he did not disappoint uh, and he was a gent before during and after the interview as well so hopefully that's answered part of your question absolutely well and I mean I will just piggyback and say he is he's just a gentleman and uh and the fact that he's being so open and willing right now to speak to everyone in the UFO community where I feel, I don't know if you guys feel the same, um, if you want to chime in here, but when to the stars first came around and, um, you know, there was kind of a tight lid on these guys when it came to doing press. And I kind of felt like, um, especially Tom DeLong, that we weren't going to be a part of the conversation that, uh, we weren't going to be like, even involved with any of this. And I, I will say, you know, I was hesitant at first to really be all in when it came to, to the stars, which I don't think anyone should be all in on any of this stuff. Um, you should always, you know, stay, keep a little distance, but um, it felt like we were kind of being ignored. Um, UFO researchers who'd been doing this way longer than I have um, and really got this topic out there. And then kind of like, we went, we fell on deaf ears. Um, but now I feel that someone like Lou, who has, who has uh, transparently left to the Stars Academy, is embracing the community like never before. So I feel like finally we can have these conversations with this dude who I feel kind of was on a leash at one point. So um, what do you guys think? D- this huge media blitz he seems to be doing now is incredible. Why do you think that is that he's doing that? I think it's, as you said, he's free of the chains of TSA now. Yeah. Um, I mean, right from the get-go in that press conference that was held in front of nobody except a few cameras back in October 2017, they said that they want to reach the people who aren't interested in UFOs. They want to start the conversation with those kind of people. So I think from the get-go they were saying, look, we know about the UAP research community. You just go on doing what you're doing. We're going to take this to a different audience. Um, and to be honest, at that point, the UFO community was a complete mess. I mean, there were some pretty fanciful, fanciful um, claims knocking about. The wrong kind of people were getting the exposure. And I think that's why they just took one look and said, nah, we'll, we'll, leave, we'll go somewhere else. <laughs> I, I yeah. think it was very it was very telling, Ryan and uh, I think Dave and Dan. We spoke about this that the way John Greenwald's interview opened up. He went to ask his first question, and Lou interrupted to make a point of apologising for the interview not having happened previously. And he actually made a point again of saying on more than one occasion that for me was as passive aggressive as Lou would probably get, <laughs> uh, as you as you see him in his interviews. And you could tell there was a little bit of frustration there that. 
this should have been happening already and it wasn't. Um, I don't feel he has to apologise for that, but I think that was that was a pretty telling statement and way to open that interview. Yeah, I, I'd have to agree. Um, well, in terms of your interview, Andy, I, I'd love to get all your thoughts on this. Um, you know, we have this Pentagon task force here in the United States that has started up. And um, I mean, from what we've heard, whether it's either through outlets like the debrief of these leaked UAP reports that they've been looking at, or um, people like Chris Mellon saying, yeah, like it's, there doesn't even seem to be a budget attached to this thing. Um, You made a point of asking Lou, you know, straight up, like what he thought about not only the task force, but this, uh, this report um, that has to be given. Well, it doesn't have to be, but is being demanded to be given to the public here in the United States about their findings here in the United States about UAP. Um, Lou said something in your, in your interview that really caught my attention. And if I'm getting this wrong, please correct me. Uh, the UAPTF or the report was built to fail. And that really um, kind of stopped me in my tracks because I'm like, wow, yeah. I mean, you would know more than anyone having worked a Pentagon UFO program. Um, just what he's seeing, like the the kind of uh, the way it's going. What do you guys think? Is this thing in the United States uh, mean anything? Should we look forward to it? Or is it just going to be nothing? Um, yeah, so it was. he said it was set up to fail. Um, and he didn't say deliberately. He just felt the way the way it came across in the interview wasn't that someone went, we'll give them 180 days. That won't be enough. And this is going to be a mess. It was more a case of, okay, here's six months, which may be enough time for certain, you know, things like that to go through, but nothing to do with this topic. But he feels it's just nowhere near enough time. And he he mentioned he felt double that would be would be better almost a year. Chris Mellon, I think, has said pretty much the, the same on Twitter as well. Um, I think people have to, regardless what does or doesn't come out within it, there's, of course, going to be a declassified report, um, but no doubt there'll be another report in the background we don't get to see, regardless what's going to be in that. People have to temper their expectations. People are expecting there to be talk of, okay, here's the crash saucers we have. Okay, here's where the aliens are from. Okay, here's when President Eisenhower really met them. That was never going to be in it anyway. For me, there'll be a lot of language and jargon that's probably not necessarily relevant and more from a military tactical point of view. I would have liked to have seen more of a best case assessment or some assessments as to here's what they may be, ideally with a line in there about off-world, different dimension, different reality. I doubt the word alien will be in that report whatsoever. I I would even doubt other planets would be in there, but just something to hint towards this may be something that we all hope or know that it, it could be and that we build on it from there. So, yeah, the the, the, the line of set up to fail and, and just its context, you have to build in that. It wasn't deliberate, but they just feel it's never going to be enough time. And the political situation in the US, I, I don't know exactly how much that that's going to affect things with the administrations changing. The, the head of the task force has changed recently as well. And like you say, there's there's apparently no funding in place. But then, like like Lou talked about, when he was in his role in ATIP, he didn't necessarily need funding for a lot of it because the funding was going to other areas and all he had to know was the right people. He didn't need funding to go and pull radar data. He just had to know the guy to go to to get that information. So I, I don't necessarily think the funding as such might, might be the issue. 
Right. And I mean, the other big thing too is Lou knows the people in this task force, which I think is integral to this going anywhere. You know, we, we, I, I, I always had this idea of, well, you got this guy who's willing to like talk about all this, but he left the government. So are they even going to like consult with him about it or are they starting from scratch? And, and I do wonder, you know, is this going to be like, again, kind of breaking everything down and rebuilding it again in the way that they see fit. Um, but yeah, do you guys have any thoughts on, um, this stuff going on in the U S do you have any hope for it or should we temper our expectations? Well, I think we're going to get pretty much what we got when we um, kind of requested for the elongated version of those three videos. So they said, Oh, we could give you some more, but it contains classified information that we don't want to, you know, end up in the hands of our adversaries, that kind of thing. So it's good. I think as you're right, as you and Andy have said, we do need to temper our expectations because we're not going to get everything. They're not going to give us everything anyway because they don't have to. We're going to get kind of like the super diluted version. It may just be an an acknowledgement of something happened here at such and such a time. We've looked into it. We can't give you any more information. I think that's what we need to be working ourselves up to, not Oh, yeah, the Linux case, we've got all the data for that whole week kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Dan, what do you think? I think it's really important, um, directly because of what the guys have said, for all of us to get to know our political representatives, because they're the guys who have the clearance to read the part of the report that, let's be honest, all of us really, really would love to read. Um, And we've already heard from Lou that, the briefings include stuff that we haven't seen, data that's a lot more compelling. So I think to build this conversation and to put something more permanent in place that isn't kind of stimmy by that 180-day demand, if we engage our representatives, they'll engage the issue for us. And once you're in a conversation with those guys, who knows, maybe you can twist their arm into telling you something on a golf trip or something like that. (laughs) That's a good point. I mean, I remember, you know, Directly after one of those briefings, uh, Senator Mark Warner here in the U.S. came out and the dude looked as white as a ghost. Mm-hmm. You know, he went in there thinking, I'm going to see a grainy video, this one that's been on the news and all that. Um, cool. Like, I'll maybe we'll laugh about it. And he came out. And like you said, like these guys were briefed on things that we're not aware of. Um, much more compelling things than just the Tic Tac video or the Go Fast. Um, so that gives me hope that there's a lot still out there that um, I think our representatives are trying to digest right now. Because again, like they don't think about UFOs. They don't even talk about UFOs on a daily basis like we do, or even someone like Lou does, or or these Navy pilots that were involved with these things. So um, I, I understand why they need time. I think that's another thing Lou keeps bringing up in a lot of interviews is give these guys some time. Like this isn't something that they have worked on. These people in the task force, they're not UFO investigators. They haven't been doing this a long time. So um we gotta we gotta give them time to catch up, which I I completely understand. And no, I don't think 180 days is enough to get anything done. So we'll probably see that extended. We might get something, but um, yeah, yeah. I look forward to whatever happens. It can only hey, the way I look at it, if we get anything. 
that's going to move this topic forward and the conversation forward. Yeah. Um, um, well, let's not focus too much on the United States here. That's not why I have the three of you here. Um, let's talk about a controversial individual in your neck of the woods, uh, probably the most visible person in the UK um, who supposedly worked for the MOD investigating UFOs. So I would love to get all your opinions on this. Uh, I believe it was the UFO researcher, Philip Mantle, who has been claiming that uh, Nick Pope, uh, the gentleman who worked for the MOD investigating UFOs, uh, isn't who he says he is. And I'm not a show where I get into, you know, a lot of controversy and gossip, but I would love to get your three guys' opinions on Nick Pope as a person, as an investigator. Uh, do you believe he did what he said he did? Or is this just another way of kind of um, doing what they did to Lou here in the United States and kind of try to discredit him? So anyone who's willing to give their opinion on this, I'd love to hear it. Do you want me to start? Yeah, please, Dave. I know you've written about Nick extensively in the magazine, so yeah, let's do it, man. And I don't want to get you on the wrong side of anyone, but yeah, what do you think about this? These are no, things no, I mean, you have to question. Well, Nick was in the first, very first issue. I mean, he was one of the first people to respond um, when I said I was going to launch the magazine, um, which was great for him, and I thought that at the time. Now, Nick Pope has always claimed that he was the head of the UFO arm of the MOD, when in fact he was just, um, according to the MOD itself, I'll just read this here because I've written it down, in a letter that is available through the uh, National Archives in the UK, dated December 97, it says, regarding Mr Nicholas Pope, he was a junior desk officer in the Secretariat Air Staff 2A section from 91 to 94, and was not in charge of or the head of any part of the Secretariat Air Staff 2A. Mr. Pope was an executive officer and shared the support of one administrative officer. Unexplained sightings represented a small part of his overall duties. Um, and that's from his former bosses. So he's kind of like over-exaggerated his role. And I think part of that is due to the media in the UK, because at that when the X-Files came out, um, they kind of latched onto the fact that there may be like a department such as the X-Files in the MOD. So they were looking for a spokesperson and I'm pretty sure that Nick just put his, his hand, became the go-to guy for all unexplained phenomena and UFO reports and then he's kind of run with it. I mean, that's just my opinion. Um, but he has... I mean, I've heard stories about him from other researchers, especially in the UK, where he'll be sat in the front row of a conference scribbling down notes of a certain person speaking, and then he'll use those notes to pass off as his own research in future conference appearances. I mean, that, I've heard that from a couple of guys. And I think in the latest issue of Outer Limits magazine, they've done a big kind of report on the stuff that Philip Mantle was sending around and you got the evidence from the MOD. So, you know, there is no smoke without fire. What do you guys think? So um, I've interviewed Philip Mantle and spoken to Philip Mantle separately about the, his situation with Nick Pope, if you want to call it that. Uh, Dr. David Clark that I had on recently about Rendlesham, I had a similar conversation. 
I interviewed Nick Pope as well back near the start of the podcast and a broadcast that went terribly because of bandwidth issues. So I don't disagree with a lot of what's coming out and it's not disagree because it's fact. It's, you know, it's, it's there in black and white like Dave's talked about. However, I don't totally think Nick Pope's out there just lying to everyone. I I would say the media have it looks like greatly exaggerated what his role has been over the over the passage of time. He is when the the papers report things. It's usually Nick Pope, MOD correspondent, or the UK's Fox Mulder would be how the the papers in the UK tend to report it. So I don't think that's necessarily all Nick Pope's fault. Um, I think he is maybe allowed the exaggerated reports of what his job was just to go on but I, I do think he's potentially been privy to some information not ne- necessarily directly but that has allowed him to kind of build this career that he has because let's not forget he still went on to be he's an author um he is you know an alien con coming up as well online with like chase klutzke and, and whatnot he is a talking head on almost every US documentary series going out there as well. That doesn't instantly give you credit, mind you, given some of the names that also appear on those shows. Um, I don't think it's the complete charlatan people are making out, but I certainly feel there's been an exaggerated um, role that's been allowed to be built up over time. And do you know what? Fair play, Nick has gone and made a successful career in living out of that. Um, I don't think he's been investigating UFOs the way it's made out, but I don't doubt he's been privy to some conversations that have allowed him to potentially sound in the know or be more in the know than than some would let on. So I, I play a little bit of devil's advocate with it, but like Dave says, there's no smoke without fire. I, I would say it's more been greatly exaggerated. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. What about you, Dan? Anything to add? Yeah, uh, for, for me... I, I love that Andy said uh, the UK's Fox Mulder because that that's how I was introduced to to Nick Pope's work. Yeah, um, same. And over the, over the years, you can read a lot of what Nick Pope puts out, and there's not a lot of new things that come into the narrative. Um, so for me, Nick's value rests in the fact that he's someone that takes these ideas seriously, has a little bit of knowledge of what goes on behind that veil of you know uh bureaucracy we'll say um and and can kind of help us navigate it a little bit um i i think i'd be with andy in saying that you you know the reputation was exaggerated and not corrected and you know you get 10 years down the road and it's it's all out of hand but he's not in the desert charging people thousands of dollars to see flares drop by planes you know so <laughs> There's a level of harmlessness to it. Yeah. I yeah. think also we need to add that, you know, without him, whatever we think of him on a personal level, he probably got a lot of people into the subject, whether directly or indirectly. So I think the benefit of him still being around, I mean, I know that I think it was Room 101. I don't think you put him into um, into the bin, did you? No. <laughs> Okay, no. that's good to know. You know, yeah, yeah. Andy's having PTSD of the 101s for sure, <laughs> <laughs> or he's just blacked it out of his mind. Um, no, I would have to agree with the with all three of you guys. Um, I've met Nick; he's a gentleman through and through. He's extremely um, eloquent in the way he presents things, and uh, yeah, you know, I mean, 
it is what it is. It, it's tough, especially when you have someone like John Burroughs, one of the prime witnesses of the Rendlesham Forest incident, um, kind of saying that Nick isn't who he says he is or did what he said he did. Um, it, it's it's hard. Um, so, I mean, I guess we're kind of all on the same page when it comes to that. Um, it is what it is. And um, he has introduced a lot of us to the UFO topic. I, I remember, again, he was the British Fox Mulder for me here yeah. in the United States. So um, it is what it is. But let's move on to another very controversial character. Big Bobby Lasers, Bob Lazar. <laughs> I would love to hear all of your thoughts on this. As many people know, watching this and listening, I have been a huge advocate of Mr. Lazar for many years. And that comes more from a want to believe than uh, actual data and evidence. And probably in the past few months, I've really started to get on the other side of Bob Lazar on the uh, the non-believer side. But that does not mean I, I completely discount everything this man has to say. So Andy, let's go in order here, ascending order. What are your thoughts on Bob Lazar, everything that Bob Bigelow has brought forward with him and George Knapp and Jeremy Corbell? Give us your thoughts on Bob Lazar, if you don't mind. I like the way you preface that, that it's more of a want to know than that you've necessarily got the evidence, but you've also just brought up a name that I was discussing with uh, Danny Silva um, a couple of hours ago. George Knapp, for me, uh, is the one that really lends a lot of credibility to to Bob Lazar and his story. I'm a huge fan of George Knapp. I've got a lot of respect for him. I like his style. I like um, his appearances on Coast to Coast, you know, Mystery Wire, anything he's done in the past. Um, so I've got a huge respect for George Knapp and don't feel he would have gone along with a story for what now, 32 years or more, had there not been something to it, even with the the little bumps in the road, you know, everyone goes straight to Bob Lazar's um, education and bits that are missing. And then obviously we had the documentary with Jeremy Corbell, um, the FBI raid in his offices. But then there's Bob Lazar's potentially nefarious backstory involving strip club investments and everything like that. And people have lives. And for me, there definitely seems to be something to it. I believe he did work on a project. It, it's... The fact is, Bob Lazar has come out and, and talked about an element that didn't exist before it existed, which now exists. Bob Lazar ha has had has made some incredible claims that he did work on and reverse engineer flying saucers in Groom Lake. Um, the, the, the evidence, of course, is something that you're probably never going to see or find out because the only way to prove it would be for someone to to pull open a hanger and go, yeah, there it is. You know, there's Bob's check-in sheet and check-out sheet next to that saucer over there, and we're not going to get that. Um, I I love the story. It's quite a romantic one in, in ufology, um, but it's one that still has stuck around nonetheless. Um, Bob, Bob Lazar's an intelligent guy. I think he's very charismatic. Um and like I say, you, you get drawn into that story. For me, it's one I want to believe, and I think there's a lot of truth within the story. If And like we've just talked about before, some of it maybe Bob has gone along with and, and built up in the myth and the lore over the years. But on the flip side of what Dave talked about with Nick Pope, I don't think there's smoke without fire with that story. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, the answers are always somewhere in between, I think, with this entire topic um dave what do you what do you think well I, I mean i like the story and i like bob as a person every time i've seen him on whatever whether it was on larry king you know rest in peace 
or, um, you know, the Jeremy Corbell documentary. I have a lot of time for Jeremy Corbell, mainly because he got behind the mag as well, um, as you did. And, you know, he managed to get Bob to answer a few of my questions, which appeared in an interview in issue six. But I think his story is just one of those where you really, really, really want it to be true and you want the facts to line up and you want to know that, yes, there were there was a crashed vehicle in S4. Um, whether it was a recent crash or a historical one, or as has been mentioned in the past, an archaeological one, you know, this could be something that was found in the desert in the Middle East, a thousand, you know, that crashed a thousand years ago, which was flown back over. Um, but I think the fact that he came out and he said, oh, I'm coming out to save my own life. Um, and like Andy said, George Knapp is one of the most credible people and reporters that I think we all know. And I don't think that he would get sucked into a story like that, considering everything else that's been going on in ufology over the last 30 years. I mean, Bob disappeared for a while. He got he set up his own company after a while, which deals with you know government contracts relating to nuclear elements or nuclear materials. So you don't get that kind of job if you've lied about your role in the in a government program and you're perceived as a threat to the government because of what you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, again, I think there's there's so many elements to it that just fall into place, and some that it's like trying to... 115 elements. Yeah, there you go, brother. Uh, well, hey, you bring up element 115. That's mm. one of the biggest issues I have, and I know other uh, podcasters and whatnot have brought this up recently, is um, he supposedly buried the elements somewhere in a desert somewhere, this story we've heard for many years. And um, the fact that if that's the case, dude, like we could use that right now, whatever element 115 does, if we're able to able to stabilize it somehow and whatever energy it uses, maybe it could benefit us and humanity right now. Yet he's choosing not to bring that forward. So um, I always take issue with that whole element 115 thing. Um, I take issue with the autobiography that came out about Lazar. Um, I was so looking forward to that book. And Element 115 wasn't mentioned once in the entire book, which completely uh, disappointed me. And um, it was just one of the worst written books I've read in a really long time. So I'm just being brutally honest about that. But now I'm going to throw it over to you, Dan, who I know will uh, be a lot more kinder, I hope, in terms of Bob Lazar. Or maybe not. Maybe not. Give us your thoughts, man. So when whenever people ask me about Bob Lazar, um, when I say that, I mean like friends asking for, you know, give me give me something about this guy that I saw on Netflix. Um, I, I always refer them to that really old cheesy video that Bob Lazar made, um, where he's in the desert with his car. I don't know if uh, if you've seen that one, Ryan. Um, <laughs> And it's amazing. And he gets to present his own information, which is why I really like that uh, video. Um, And in that video, you can really separate his his claims into two parts. The one claim is what he saw. And then the other claim is what he read. Now, we all know the government played disinformation games. So what he read and what was given to him in, you know, the, the binder in the room to read through, that could all be nonsense. But it really demonstrates that when when we have someone that talks about these kind of things, all it takes is for them to believe that it's real, for them to start spreading the story as if it is. 
Um, then on the other side, we have the stuff that he saw, which is something that I, I find myself constantly juggling. It's something that's in a, a gray basket. Um, and unless he ever comes forward and gives us the 115, we're never going to be able to, to confirm it one way or the other. But until then, it, it's a very cool story. And I wonder why no one's made a movie so far. Tell me about it. I know at one point Matt Damon was attached to it. Uh, from what I've been oh, told, really? but um, was, it, was so, Matt Damon going to play Bob Lazar? Yes, yeah. Well, have you guys oh. seen that music video about Bob Lazar? Um, some like hip hop artist, I think, out in Los Angeles made like a whole music video based around Bob, and it was like the quality was like a list movie making. <laughs> I, I, whoever the actor was that played Lazar in this music video, um, we got to get him because he was perfect. But um, yeah, I, I Ryan. Right. Yeah, yeah. Just, can I just ask? I think it's the Bob Lazar story schemes out for a, a one-man theater monologue production, <laughs> and I think next time you're looking for some inspiration, that might be a that might be uh, your, your your work mm. of art. You know, absolutely. Are you hearing that Broadway? Please, please. I, I would support that. I would support that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm unemployed. If I can, uh, if I can make a one-man show out of Bob Lazar and have him star in it, that would be amazing. But you, um, actually, you on that note, Ryan, the trial yeah. of Bob Lazar. In, in a similar way to A Few Good Men. I think that would go really well. And then you can oh, have the God. actors come through the audience and interact. Mm-hmm. It would be very cool. Yep, uh, I love yep. Blood Brothers. <laughs> I love that. Dave, what were you going to say, man? Well, I was going to say, after your um, you know, your Larry Warren screenplay was filmed online in yeah. September, you know, this is perfect opportunity for you to pick up a pen and uh, write it. <laughs> That's true, my man. But, hey, I don't know. Larry Warren gave me death threats. I don't know if Bob Lazar would do the same, but uh, that's a story for another time. Um, I guess let's move on to kind of the last core topic I'd love to talk to you guys about. And then I have listener questions, if you're willing to stick around for some of those. Um, I think we got some really good ones. Mm -hmm. Um, CE5 movement. This is kind of big right now. You have like the nuts and bolts government UFO issue going on. And then you've got this whole other side of this topic that has to do with um, a more metaphysical side to all of this. And, uh, you know, I've given my my thoughts on C5 in the past. I think it's very interesting. I've never done it, so I can't really speak on it. But um, do you guys have any thoughts on this, this idea of us initiating contact with aliens instead of vice versa? And, um, what are the traps that we might fall in when it comes to that? And uh, yeah, whoever's willing to to comment on the whole CE5 movement we have in the UFO field right now, please be my guest. Well, I want to defer to what Lou answered um, in Andy's podcast, saying if it works, it works. Brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I'm not the type, I haven't got the patience to sit out in the field and, you know, try and meditate and try and get something to acknowledge my presence. It's just the kind of person I am because my brain's just going off all the time. So, you know, if it does work, that's great. And it's a personal experience, I think. I don't think you can have the big group meditations and the big group kind of sightings without, as we said earlier, someone in a plane dropping a load of flares. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Exactly. Dan, what do you think, man? So I actually have a few experiences. 
um, and I stopped kind of playing with it <clears throat> um, just just because it it worked a little too well. And after talking to um, Sean Cahill a bit about how we interact with the phenomena and how we don't really understand what it is in spite of whatever we may feel when it takes place, I decided not to not to engage so much with it. Um, I started feeling a bit like, you you know, deep down in the ocean, uh, you get those, um, I forget the name of the fish, but it has the light out in front of it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I started feeling a little bit like that. Not, not that it made me feel that way, but, you know, I put a defense up there and I found that it hasn't worked for me since I kind of took that attitude, uh, which I thought was interesting. In, in terms of my experiences with it, um, they they would go something like, uh, you know, I've had so many and, and Laura was with me for one that we had in Bracken where we were staring up um, near, we were looking at Mars because it was really high on the horizon. Um, and there was just, there were no satellites or anything like that. And I jokingly kind of asked her if she was ready to initiate um, and she said, yeah, okay, fine, let's do it. So we sat down and it, it's nice to kind of listen to the breeze and the trees and things like that in a scenario um, in an environment like that. So it's very relaxing, but we both looked in one direction suddenly and right where we looked, there was this giant flash. And it weirded us out that we looked in that particular direction. And after that, we started kind of asking for a for a reaction and then waiting for different amounts of time so we could make sure it wasn't a plane or a satellite or you know an iridium flare or something like that and it genuinely felt like we made a connection so my, my opinion on ce5 is that it's real but we don't know what we're dealing with so be careful Tread lightly, exactly. I um I, I do think that CE five is an extremely personal experience, just as any UFO sighting is. Like it's gonna mean something to you more than it will anyone you tell about it or anyone else that's there. So um yeah, Andy, anything to add when it comes to CE five? Yeah, uh, you don't have to pay nine ninety nine for an app for it to work. Um, like Dan's experiences prove that as well. Um, Lou mentioned when I asked him about you know, the mankind versus mankind's statement he made, and he brought up the the ex- I wasn't expecting as much as he gave, but the expanded point on perhaps these these objects or some of the, the phenomena because it's an umbrella topic. Um, they experience our present and over a longer period potentially. I am not that mathematically are you know physics inclined so I, i'm going to explain this really badly but if these things are, are always there potentially but we just can't see them because they're in a different reality or a different point in time or they don't experience time the same way perhaps when you know dan and his partner go to, to practice ce5 or anyone goes to do it that they're, they're tuning in to a frequency or a point that these things become visible and that connection's made and, you know, with consciousness playing such a big part in all of this, we keep hearing more and more about consciousness. Perhaps you're just forming a connection at, the, at that point in time, if you, if you want to call it time, or at that moment where these things and you are interacting in, in a totally different space. And that's where Dan says he thinks it gets like a, you get like a feeling when you're there, almost like you're disconnecting a little bit from this reality. It's not just like when I saw the black triangle or when I saw that, that, um, 
craft on its side. That there was nothing like that. I was just seeing an object, and maybe CE five. It's that more spiritual, conscious side of it, and that's why you, people get these weird feelings, and it's almost like a tuning in of a different frequency. So I think that maybe ties into what Lou talked about a little bit more on my podcast. That people um, understand far better than I do. I won't even pretend. Dan's Dan's really good with that kind of stuff, to be honest, and that's why I talk to him about. But yeah. <laughs> I, I think there's a definite element there of you're, you're tuning into something else. And Dan, again, is absolutely spot on when he talks about, you know, like Sean Cahill and talks a lot about meditation and vibration and, you know, the, the universe all being one, potentially. You're, you're playing about with things that you don't, no one really understands. So absolutely paying two and a half thousand dollars to stand on a beach and watch a pilot drop flares off the coast is no doubt beautiful, depending on the scenery, but it's certainly not getting in touch with any alien beings. And I think all three of you stressed this idea that um, there will always be individuals in this field who want to take advantage of people's belief systems. Um, When they are in that vulnerable state of wanting to see something or expecting something, they will. And that can cloud your judgment. And we've dealt with that in so many different ways in this field throughout the decades of charlatans and, and people's stories changing and, and um, morphing into something unrecognizable from the original story. And it's just, that's the way it is. And that'll always be a part of this whole UFO issue, as it were. So um, I'm with you guys. I think um, while I'm not personally one to try CE5, I think, hey, if you think that it's going to work, then do it. And you're going to interpret it one way and someone will interpret it another. But yeah, let's not... Let's not charge people to go out in the woods and kumbaya. Let's let's get the mothership here. And I don't I don't want to I don't want that to sound disparaging either because that could happen. But I agree with you guys. I think if this is going to um, to help somebody in their life, do it. We live in a world where a lot of people are scared and uncertain of what's going to come next and and questioning their mortality or um, you know, just everything in between that if this is going to make you happy, then do it. Just be careful because you don't know what's going to happen. What's up, guys? Ryan Sprague here, and I'm just dropping in to remind you about our Patreon campaign. Somewhere in the Skies is always free to consume, but it's not free to create. So if you want to help the show on a monthly basis, we have tons of rewards for you in return including shoutouts on the show and website, bonus content and episodes, and free merch. Want to be my guest or pick a topic for the show? You can do that too. So if you'd like to learn more and to help support the show, visit patreon.com slash somewhere skies. Thank you and keep looking up. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you 
everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. For our listener questions, our first one comes from, appropriately, UKUAP on Twitter. And they ask, what is your best guess of who is holding the secrets to UAP in the UK? Which government department or contractor? Do any of you guys have any thoughts or theories on that? (laughs) We'll be in quiet because it's going to get political. (laughs) Is it? Is it? Hey, hey, as long as it's not US politics, I'm okay. I mean, there was (laughs) a thinking back in the 90s that uh, there was a place called Rudlow Manor Right, right. Um, which Timothy Good spoke out about at length in his books, uh, Beyond Top Secret and Above Top Secret. But now that's disused. But that was supposed to have been the British kind of Area 51. Mm-hmm. You know, apparently it's got these massive bases on the ground, um, subterranean levels going down miles. But it's never been absolutely confirmed. And I think it's also been hijacked as well by that particular theory has been hijacked by, you know, people who talk about black goo, you know, people who talk about super soldiers, um, QAnon and all that kind of thing, which is going on now. And I don't think that if there was something there, we would have heard about it possibly. I mean, there have been claims in the past, but with regards to UAP information, I don't think we will get to know 100% who's holding the keys. It could be GCHQ as they're part of the Five Eyes program. It could be be the British Navy. It could be Whitehall. At this moment in time, we don't know. It could be a department we haven't even heard of yet. Yeah, Uh, I am... I never hide the fact that Dave and Dan are the details guys. I ask them for a lot of of detail on stuff. They are far better and I've got a terrible memory. So I can only share a bit of an opinion on this one. I think part of the issue is from a British point of view, there is is no appetite whatsoever across any level of politics to, to discuss this topic or for it to be addressed. I would say, and I don't mean this to be disparaging to the US or to compliment the UK, I think from a, a UK point of view, if there was a small secret group in charge of this, they would be far better at keeping it secret than it would in the US. I don't you think... You 
China, but no, yeah. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, just, I just think the US political system is, is like odd from a distance because in the UK, it's like, do, do you remember if you've seen Futurama, you know, the two political mm-hmm. candidates that run one's Bob Robertson and the other one's Robert Bobson, and they're just <laughs> the same person. But the US political system where you've got really two parties is really weird, whereas in the UK, they all just seem to talk about the exact same thing but then argue mm-hmm. about the exact same thing. It's just an odd setup. So I think we potentially would have, have people dealing with it. And I've, I've had guests say to me that, yeah, it's actually being looked at. I just think we're very good at keeping it a secret, unfortunately. Whereas in the US, like, and that's something like Lou and Chris Mellon and stuff have talked about, that it's very compartmentalised in the US. So I think mm-hmm. there, are, there are more aspects of the US government that know bits and pieces of information, but it's just a little bit all over the place and disorganised. And that's why it's so hard to kind of band it all together. So it's, I think it's probably two extremes of the same spectrum. So th- there's definitely an interest somewhere and, and someone's looking at it. If the US have an interest, the UK have an interest because that's how it works, being the little brother yeah. um, or little, <laughs> little sister, as it feels sometimes. Uh, but yeah, uh, it's something I, I, I would say we definitely have, but keeping it under wraps. Gotcha. Anything to add, Dan? Um, just really to second that, that I think that UK-US relationship is really vital. Um, you, you know, in the history of UK ufology, um, we we don't have as many opportunities um, throughout that history where we've recovered um, crash craft and debris and things like that. So if there was a program, it may be kept secret better, but we probably don't have good stuff. So we probably defer to our big brother which is you guys. Yeah. And it, but, you know, Winston Churchill did send a memo that said, you know, can you tell me about these, this flying saucer thing that's just got all the Americans in the flat, you know, paraphrasing there, but that's the gist of it. Yeah. And a program called the Working Party was set up uh, by Sir Henry Tizard, I believe, but that was dissolved in 1952, saying that we've analysed all these flying saucer reports and there's no threat that we can see, so we're just going to ignore it. But, but, the, but did they? That's the question. Yeah, I mean, I look at Project Blue Book said the same exact thing, and now we're learning that ATIP was supposedly going on the entire time. So, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Who knows? Who knows? Um, well, let's move on to uh, Strafe on Twitter, and I'm going to pull up a photo here. Bear with me for just a moment, gentlemen. All right. Boom. <laughs> Does this photo look familiar to any of you guys? I remember taking it, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, knew it, I knew it, Andy. I knew you were the culprit behind this one. Um, well, Strafe on Twitter asks, what are your guys' thoughts on the Kelvine UFO file and the MOD classifying it for another 55 years? What is up with that? Does anyone want to comment on that? Okay, well, this was the case that Nick Pope, going back to earlier, would always say was his kind of right. planning moment in while he was working there. But according to, I think it was David, Dr. David Clark, I think he might have mentioned it in the interview with Andy, that those hikers who took the picture that has never been seen outside of the daily record who lost the negatives, the daily record being a Scottish newspaper, um, outside of that and the officials, that photograph has never been seen. We've only seen like a Biro sketch of it, I think, or a pen sketch, pencil sketch. And the American government or the American secret services got so het up that this photo actually existed 
because it was supposed to have been of a secret experimental craft. And I spoke to Nick Cook, the author of Hunt for Zero Point Before Christmas. Um, the interview is going in the next issue. And he kind of suggested that that was the case, that this was something that should never have been seen by anyone outside of you know, the US program, plus the uh, the pilots who were escorting or kind of shadowing, you know, this experimental craft when it was photographed. So as for it being a UFO file and as for the MOD, you know, keeping it secret for another 50 years, they've claimed it's because there's people's names in there which who are still alive and they don't want to compromise national secrets or possibly the special relationship that we that we have with America. Fair enough. Do you guys have anything to add about the Calvi? It, it may not be a UFO. Um, you know, I, I kind of lean towards what, what Dave uh, just said. Um, he covered the majority of stuff, but I still really want to see the photo, you know? It, it's the <sighs> mystery know. of drawing. Nick, Nick talks about it like it's his, you know, he's called the Fox Mulder of the UK, and Fox Mulder had that famous poster on his wall. And this was supposed to be Nick's poster. So I really want to see it. I would just like, I would just add that again, I would go with what the, the guy said. And Dave, thanks for bringing up the interview as well, because it was quite interesting when that was brought up on it. Um, mm. this, this is probably ours as in human tech. Yes, it's probably the US. Yes, it's been pushed away again because the US weren't happy it came out. Um, however, I would like to know where that came from. How did we get that tech? How have we got something like that just floating along the Scottish hills? That for me then is yeah. where, where did we get that technology? And that's when people come out with, oh yeah, you know, TR3B, which is my pet hate in ufology. When people <laughs> quote things that they think they know what they're talking about, but they don't. Um, this technology has come from somewhere. It's, it's a hell of a leap from jet engines and fuel. So it, there's still a fascinating point for me of, yeah, it's probably secret governmental tech. Yeah, but that's incredible. That's such a generational leap in technology. I, I, I still want to know the backstory of how we've, we're suddenly defying physics. So, yeah, I'd still want to know a lot more. Can you remember right. what year it was? No, I didn't, remember actually, what, yeah, no. I didn't yeah. actually take the photo, no. <laughs> well, I mean, well, you bring up TR-3B, and that's a good point, Andy, is, um, you know, the triangular UFO mystery is huge here in the U.S., and I know it is in the U.K. and other places as well. And we are supposedly hearing that one of these is transmedium, that it's emerging from the water, coming out and then jetting off. So, I mean, that, again, that's a technological leap, unlike anything we seem to possess, especially back in the the 19, what was it, the early 90s when they said that the explanation for every triangular UFO was a stealth bomber or this or that. So I do have to wonder, especially when people like Lou and, and uh, Top Gun pilots are saying, not a chance, not a chance in hell we have transmedium technology yet. So, yeah. Maybe we'll know someday what Kelvin was, but yeah. Um, did you want to add something, Andy? Yeah. Do you remember what um, Chris Mellon said to David Marler? I've got David Marler coming on my podcast in a few weeks, who's like a, one of the world's foremost experts in triangle UFOs, and he's got that really cool library. But I don't know, Ryan, do you remember what he said? Chris Mellon thought triangle UFOs were? In terms of origin, no, but I find it fascinating about the whole idea of like surveying an area. Yeah, um, that yeah, it, is, yeah, that's it. Okay. So for me, I'm I'm really interested that Chris Mellon 
shared his opinion on that because that's not something he ever really does. And he made a point of getting that in that show, which was still a show, it wasn't live, that do you know what I think these are? Because I felt when David Marlowe was talking, you could see Chris Mellon's eyes lighting up a little bit as if this guy has heard and knows things that are correct. And you could see him really desperate to share. And I think that was Chris Mellon just dropping as a little rare nugget of information of, I think these things are surveying the earth. It's a very exact detail to to think. Yeah, absolutely. And again, like the triangles, I, I'll tell you guys this. I've been um, working on a big article right now about a gentleman who saw a triangle on five separate occasions over a naval air station here in the United States. Never came forward, tried to report it once, and they laughed him off. And uh, I've been trying like hell to get in touch with whether it's, you know, the Pentagon spokesperson or the Navy point of contact for press. Um, They've been giving me the runaround for months and months. And then finally, I went to the actual base where these things happen. And I said, hey, guess what? This guy back in these two years, he had five separate UFO sightings over your base. I'm going to come forward with his name and everything. So if you want to add anything to this, please feel free. And after two months of them not contacting me, they called me within 10 minutes after I sent that message (laughs) off to them. So it's clear, you know, they want to keep a lid on certain things. They want to give us the runaround when it comes to it could possibly be some sort of top secret tech they're working on. But um, I'll be interested to see how that phone call goes. If you guys don't hear from me after that phone call, um, someone's got to take the reins for somewhere in the skies. Ryan, um, can I just ask, yeah. um, I, Dan raised a really interesting point to me um, before I spoke to Lou about transmedium travel. And, and we always hear about these objects. Dan probably knows where I'm going here. Um, traveling through space and in the air and under the water. But um, Dan, there's another one that's not talked about as much, but there there is some more talk coming out about, isn't there? Uh, yeah. Um, solids. In a way. Um, obviously, we, we know with slide nine um, that those capabilities, um, you know, summed up a kind of complete control of space time. Um, but the one thing that we don't talk about, and I feel like it's because we don't, it's hard to get our heads around because it's so fundamental to us from the second that we're born that there are solids that you can't go through. <laughs> but it, it seems like, and it, it certainly would explain, you know, the, the sightings of them going into Mount Hayes and things like that and Mount Shasta, um, you know, where there are no doors, it, it would explain a lot, really. Wow. I yeah. never even thought about that, man. Wow. Yeah. That reminds I mean, me of, um, sorry, Ryan. That no, reminds please, me go of um, one of the reports in the 19, late 1970s in the Welsh Triangle UFO flat. Um, the landlady of the local hotel, she was looking out of her window one day, it was broad daylight, middle of the afternoon, and she saw this craft kind of zip across St Bride's Bay, which is on the west coast of um, Wales, and it looked as if it was going to crash into this um, kind of outcrop in the middle of the ocean. It's called Stacks Rock, I believe. And she just saw it going so fast. She was expecting this massive explosion and thought it was a plane. It wasn't. It just disappeared into the rock. Um, and then the next thing you know, she's got the binoculars out looking at the rock, looking for any wreckage on the ocean behind. And she sees these two figures 
just appear and start walking down this rocky outcrop as if it was a set of stairs. And then they go into a little cove and then just simply disappear. I mean, that was one of the most fascinating things I read in the Welsh Triangle book. That whole kind of cluster of sightings and events that went on in Wales in the late 70s, it doesn't really get the attention it deserves. Yeah, especially if it's doing transmedium and like dealing with dark matter and even like, you know, the breakdown of particles and everything. Mm. That's crazy. Um, I'm so glad you guys brought that up. It never even crossed my mind. You know, yeah, we're, we're all talking about space and through the air and through the ocean. But what about solid matter? That's crazy. And it would explain so much of how these things can zip in and out and disappear and and stuff like that. So um, there we go. UAP Media UK coming up with a new observable. I love it. I love it. Um, All right. Here's the next listener question. I'm going to pull up one more share screen. I love giving context for listeners. Please bear with me, guys. I'm in love with the technology here. This puts me to shame. (laughs) Yeah. It's good. Oh, man, I'm trying. I'm not. I can't say I'm a pro at all. Yeah, look at that mustached man right there. This is Dave 10 years ago. (laughs) (laughs) That was before lockdown. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And also, let's let's comment on how uh, Travis Walton doesn't look like he's aged today in the past, like, 40 years. Um, That's a mystery of its own. But that is Travis Walton. For any of our viewers or listeners who are not aware, the gentleman who the movie Fire in the Sky is based on, um, we won't go through the story. Everyone should know it at this point. If they don't, Google it. Um, So Strafe also wants to know from you guys, uh, do you think the aliens owe Travis Walton an apology for what they did to him? And I guess kind of speaking on a higher level of that, um, the overall abduction ethical question of what these beings are supposedly doing to human beings and uh, causing extreme traumatic uh, PTSD, um, physical, emotional problems. Um, what do you guys each think of the Travis Walton story? And um, yeah, do these aliens owe this man an apology? What do you think? I don't I think feel they like they apologized. Yeah. yeah. Oh, go ahead, Andy. No, no, no. You, you hardly ever talk on podcasts, so I want you to go first. <laughs> <laughs> uh oh. We got the first squabble of the night. I love it. <laughs> I, I was trying to hold off there. Um, <laughs> It's just, again, it's like things we don't understand. So, like, people that go fishing don't apologize to the fish before they throw it back, do they? So, um, they hold it up as a prize and a trophy and chuck it back in the water. And if, if you're dealing with something that these these beings maybe don't necessarily care for for us, and maybe that's not even a concept to them, you know, feelings, emotions. If it, if they were biological, you, you hear about these things being potentially like third generation AI clones. And I know that gets into all sorts of different realms, but it's just we always try and understand this stuff from a human perspective when it doesn't seem that we're dealing with humans so why should we expect them to behave or or do what we do or understand what we would do you know i, I mean i'm sure it wasn't nice and i totally I, I love the story um it's really unfortunate what happened to him it's it's incredible um and i i absolutely believe something like that did happen to travis walton but own them an apology it's it's you know you can't you can't compare it's apples and oranges yeah well dan i mean i'd love for you to speak on i think i know where you're heading with this of they did apologize in a way so yeah please expand on that 
Um, I think Travis would be the first to admit that what he did was foolish running towards the ship. Um, it certainly seemed like some accident happened and he was harmed. And for me, I feel like they apologized already because they could have left him there and they didn't. They took him away and they returned him safely and it changed his life and it's a traumatic experience. But given the events that took place, I feel like they did help him out. Yeah, I'd have to agree. Anything, Dave, on that? Well, I'll just say that Fire in the Sky was probably one of the few films that have terrified me beyond my core because I don't think I've watched it all the way through since my first watch. But yeah. the story, you know, obviously the movie elaborated on some details and exaggerated a load more. But the actual story of him, you know, those his logging mates who he were with, they were ter- just as terrified as he was. And they just went back straight down into town. Um, all the stress that they went through, you know, having to go through lie detector tests and interrogation by officials, local and state. Um, and then for Travis to turn up five days later with, you know, no memory of what had happened. <laughs> you know, that time of year as well, you don't survive five days by yourself in the wilderness. Yeah. Because if I, if I remember, it was kind of, it was late autumn time, wasn't it? From what I recall, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he is probably one of the most genuine people in this, you know, whole field of ufology. You know, not once has he tried to make any money out of this. He's always been humble about it. You know, you talk to him in person and, you know, he's just very down to earth. He just wants to tell his story. I mean, it's a bit like um, Christopher Bledsoe in a way as well. I mean, this is a guy who had an experience. He was... Down on his luck, he'd had to sell his company. He was depressed. He was suffering from Crohn's disease. Had this experience, um, you know, while he was taking some contractors out fishing, wanting to get away from it because he was, you know, so depressed. And he really just, you know, he couldn't be bothered with the fishing. Then he had this experience, had four and a half hours missing time, got back. He found out his son was missing, his uh, son, Christopher Jr., um, his son has had a similar experience, but then Chris Robles, so, you know, the next day he's found out his Crohn's disease has been healed. You know, he's not in pain anymore. He's got a kind of a new outlook on life. And I think Travis and Chris have like the same kind of vulnerability about them as well. You know, they want to tell their story, but at the same time, they're afraid of telling their story because of the stigma that is attached to the story, you know, abduction stories in general. I think that's something we forget when we concentrate on the nuts and bolts or the metaphysics of everything that's been going on in the last three years, you know, since the Nimitz videos have come out. That the abduction side of things, you know, it's been pushed aside somewhat. But there are still people being abducted and having experiences, as you well know. Absolutely. I mean, I think that's kind of the thing I try to stress to people is um, while trained observers such as military pilots or or individuals like that, while those cases are super compelling and um, probably the most evidence and data driven cases we have um, for every one of those, there's a hundred civilians out there having experiences, everything from a UFO sighting to claimed abductions. And yeah, these things, again, they um, they're happening. They continue to happen. Um, Whether you look at it from a strictly physical level of, yeah, this person was, 
abducted by aliens or you're looking at it from a completely psychological level as well of um, maybe it's something entirely different than a ET kidnapping them. Um, it's fascinating and it's mm-hmm. scary and it's, it's everything in between. So no, Dave, I'm glad you bring that up because a lot of people think, oh yeah, abductions are something from the past. Like they don't happen anymore. It was kind of a, you know, a, a cultural zeitgeist thing. Yeah. Um, I'm still getting reports and emails from people claiming these things. So um, I take everyone. I think every story has some sort of value in this overall conversation. So, yeah, yeah, I think that's a good point to stress that these things are still happening. We're just not hearing about them as much because we have all this stuff out front right now with the military and whatever TTSA has done and everything. So, yeah, and I'm glad, you know, something like Unidentified took the risk and covered abductions in their last episode of their show. Um, I think it truly shows that there is a mystery here and we have to at least look at it. So, yeah. Yeah. And if you think like some of the most famous cases in ufology have been abductions, you got Travis Walton, there's the Betty and Barney Hill case as well. Yep. So, you know, uh, who else? Yeah. This guy right here too. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah, they? yeah. Talk about terrifying. That book cover <laughs> will never leave my memory. Um, Well, let's see. What else do I have here for you guys? Oh, here's a good one. So Flynn on Twitter asks, um, object to phenomenon, and I believe he's referring to UFO to UAP, is an interesting change in descriptive terms. He was. I should have just read, continued reading the question. Uh, The former implying a sighting of mass, whereas phenomenon implies mystery, and more importantly, less threatening. Um, What are your guys' takes on going from UFO to UAP. And I guess more importantly, our next question from Czar Source 6 on Twitter asks, do you think the others are a threat? So first your thoughts on UA- UFO to UAP and um, should we continue this kind of threat? I don't even want to use the word narrative that I think TTSA has painted because I don't really think they have. Um, it's a potential threat, but um, I'm going to shut up now. Andy. <laughs> What do you think, brother? UFO to UAP, and are we dealing with a threat to our our world? If um if if some mysterious cloaked stranger was hanging about outside your house every night, never doing any harm, just hanging about it, <laughs> now and again appearing to leap over your roof and land on the other side, and just doing things that you weren't too sure why they were doing them, behaving in an odd way, again never harming you or your family you would phone the police. You would feel unsafe. You would feel insecure. Now, imagine it's not you. Imagine it's a US nuclear base or a UK nuclear base or a Russian submarine or whatever. They feel insecure. They feel they have no power to stop whatever may happen. This the, These objects are doing things they could only imagine how they're doing them. Um, so, yes, that that's a threat. It's people keep thinking threat as in they expect these to attack us. Now, that stranger outside my house isn't going to attack me. I don't know that, but I just have to go with my worst case scenario that what if they do? What would I do? And you start forming in your head a plan of how you would defend and how you would deal with that because that's just human nature. So the word threat, like you say, it's, it's been taken wildly out of context. And yes, to put it bluntly, these, these things are a threat. Yeah. Cool. Dan, what do you think? So I, I thought I'd frame the, the question in an interesting way earlier today. Um, and online, I asked people who were watching WandaVision if they thought Wanda was a potential threat. Um, and I got some really interesting responses because a, a lot of it 
um, a lot of people were, were making their choice on yes or no <clears throat> based on Wanda's motivation. And of course, her motivation is a mystery. And especially with the phenomenon, the motivation is a mystery. So until we know why they're here and what the interactions mean and what they could be doing to us and so on and so forth, we've got to handle it with kid gloves, you know? We, we can't be picking up microwaves and taking them apart because there might be something in, the, in there that kills us, you know? But it doesn't make it a weapon, yet we would react to that in that situation as if it was when it was something a lot more, you know, mundane, like something that cooks food. Um, there, there's a huge, huge potential of technology and paradigm shift change for the human species in this subject. But we've got to go careful for that very reason. So I think it is a potential threat, but that doesn't mean that we have to be on the offensive towards it. We can just be considerate. Right. And I, I'll only expand on that a little by saying what uh, Leslie Kane, I think, wrote so beautifully in her book, UFOs, when dealing with something like the Tehran UFO incident, or uh, even Fravor, you know, chasing these things, as it's not so much even this UAP or UFO that is the threat, but it's how we as human beings react and respond to them, um, which is kind of what you're saying of like, we could start you know, if this thing's over a nuclear facility and we're sending things up there to try to, you know, fire on it or something, we could start a nuclear war on our actions alone, having nothing to do with this UFO. So I think you're right. I think the potential threat actually comes from our um, inability to know what we're dealing with. Um, the other end of that is a threat of the stigma behind reporting a UFO. You know, if we don't report it, it's still going to be a threat. And if our pilots aren't reporting these things, then anything could happen. So I think the threat really does lay somewhere within our reactions to it. I don't know. Am I, am I crazy, Dave? What do you think? No, because I'm going to quote a phrase from Cool Runnings, believe it or not, the bobsled film. I knew Cool Runnings was going to come up in this conversation. <laughs> I didn't know how, but um, please. Oh, please. yeah, you know, got a shoe on it. And, but there's a, <laughs> there's a line in that that said, people are always afraid of what's different. And that can be applied to anything. I mean, because we don't understand it, as Dan and Andy have said, we are naturally going to be wary of it. You know, our military is going to be wary of it because they don't understand it. They don't know what it's capable of. Mm-hmm. They don't know how to defend say a carrier group or a nuclear installation or a base or a city or a town or anything like that we have no idea what these things are capable of but that doesn't mean that they are an immediate threat they're a potential threat sure i mean we're not talking independence day here you know this is a rival more or less you know we have things flying around our skies going into our oceans and then going back into this into space. We don't know what they are. They've never made that clear to us, and they may never make it clear to us what they are. They may just be going about their business and we just happen to be in the way. But I think the first part of your question, you know, to switch from UFO to UAP, um, you know, unidentified flying object suggests something tangible, it's something solid, it's matter that we can associate with. It's, you know, a craft or a vehicle of some sort that our mind is telling us is a 3D object that we can interact with, 
you know, we can open a door, we can go inside, we can pilot it if we want to or if we knew how to. Switching to an identified area from Anonymous, it's more saying that we don't know what it is. It's probably not what we used to think it was. And at the same time, it's kind of tricking us into, well, not tricking us, but it's giving us something different to think about. Whereas before, it was just associating itself with our knowledge of pop culture at the time, you know, all the pulp novels, all the science fiction B movies, uh, Plan 9 into Space, for example, The Day the Earth Stood Still. You know, we had an idea of what flying saucers should look like from pop culture. And that kind of developed over time where we don't know what we're dealing with anymore. And so it's just given us something else to try and think about yep. and to talk about as we are doing. Absolutely. Having these conversations where we can stretch out and get weird with it. And I think that's yeah. why I really enjoy UAP because it broadens what this all could be so much. And I think, you know, we, I always go back to, and everyone knows this by now, they're probably sick of hearing it, you know, the U.S. Air Force coining the term UFO to kind of downplay the high strangeness aspect to a lot of these reports that were coming to them. And, be, you know, it's just an object. We'll figure out what it was. Don't worry about it. We got this. But now moving to phenomena, that could mean anything. And that's why I think it was so cool to hear someone like Lou say, uh, talk about the mankind and mankind's on your interview, Andy, is, um, you know, expanding the questions. I think we haven't figured out what the fuck these things are in the last 75 years. So let's ask new questions instead of keep trying to find that flying saucer. It's clearly something far more mysterious than just that. So uh, yeah. that's my little soapbox moment. I don't know if you guys want to expand on that at all. <laughs> I would just say that we can't all be right, but we could definitely all be wrong as to what they are. Hmm. That's such a good way to put it, man. Um, all right. Well, these I'm going to merge these two questions together to kind of bring us back to UAP Media UK. Uh, Border750 on Twitter asks, where should the focus in 2021 be aimed towards when it comes to this topic in your opinions? And is there one particular area that everyone should get behind or multiple avenues that are going to be just as effective? So I don't know if that plays into UAP Media UK at all, but yeah, where do you guys think our focus should be in 2021? We seem to be making a lot of strides as the years go on. So anyone who wants to pick up on that one. I think as Dan said earlier, you know, we have to get in touch with you know, your representatives, your local members of parliament, people who can push this conversation forward for us because, you know, the higher-ups aren't going to listen to, you know, the people on the street. I mean, when have they ever? Let's be fair. Yeah. Um, so we need to get into those channels and get the conversation going up the ladder, I think. And, um, you know, one of the offshoots of UAP Media is going to be um, we're going to take the hashtag end UAP secrecy and develop that a bit more. So that's going to be kind of more like the call to action side of it. Whereas European media is going to be the informative side of things. Awesome. Well, I mean, you, you actually touched on something I did want to bring up to Davis, um, um, Andreas over at the unidentified. Um, I was talking to him earlier in conjunction with Adam as well of, um, 
and UAP secrecy. I think this is a wonderful, wonderful idea. They've been working on this for a long time. And they put together this awesome uh, Google Drive where anyone can go and and cherry pick certain videos that have been in the media about UFOs being taken seriously or articles. Or even here in the U.S., we now have a, um, a template of how to reach out to your representatives. So all you have to do is go put your name in, the date, sign it. The rest is done for you. So, I mean, that's amazing. And I know that we're, we're going to have something very similar um, to send to Parliament as well in the UK. Um, so I did want to stress the work being done by Andreas and Adam in terms of NUAP secrecy is amazing. Um, but what about this other thing? I want to get your guys' thoughts on this. The, uh, the big phone home, this big time where we're going to try to just inundate these representatives with phone calls and emails. Um, is this something that you guys personally want to be a part of when it comes to UAP Media UK? Yeah, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> I've already been in touch with uh, Lou, uh, Twitter handle Lou Angeles. Um, he's going to have to forgive me. I can't remember his surname. Um, but he, he was uh, pointed to by uh, Alejandro for me. Um, so I sent him a message and we hope we'll be able to communicate. Um, he had Lou on his show and they spoke about maybe coordinating on writing uh, a form letter that Lou and maybe Chris Mallon had helped kind of form, which would be bloody fantastic, quite frankly, um, just because we know that, you know, they, they're the ninjas of doing that, aren't they? Um, <laughs> Chris Mallon wrote the language that's in the, that got into the bill that led to us getting this report. So, yeah, I, I think it's a great idea. And we, we've all seen over the past few weeks how just GameStop stock going up in price has been all over the media. So if we can just get enough people involved in this, then I, I think we'll, we'll really make a statement and, and make people realize, not, not just politicians, but also people watching, hold on, something's going on here. I'm going to go learn about it. And that's where someone like UAP Media comes in, I'd say. Yeah, because we do have a download link for you know UK-based people to download the template letter to contact their member of parliament. I mean, that's something that Adam you know, drew up. So we've got that on the front page, and you know, there's a contact form as well. It's been taken up um, by a friend of ours in Ireland who's contacted the Irish uh, Minister of Finance, which has been passed on to, um, I think it was the Irish kind of climate minister, which is good. And we also, um, there was a guy in France as well who got in touch with us and asked us if we could, if he could take that template letter translate it into French so it's tailored towards, you know, the French government as well. So already it's starting to pick up this momentum, which is hopefully going to start spreading about. And with the big phone home and, and UAP secrecy, you know, this is just the right time to take, you know, take the ball and go to the end zone. As, yeah. As I love it. Players say. Yeah, yeah. That's so exciting to hear that other uh, people in other countries or nations are like, yeah, can we just translate this? Because we all know, like, if it's already there and you just got to fill your name out, hmm. done. That's going to make all the difference, I think, for people as well. It's like, oh, I have to, like, handwrite my own letter and send it to my rep? Yeah, you can. Like, that's an awesome thing to do. But if you don't want to do that, we've got this for you right here. And like you said, once that starts spreading, 
um, the possibilities are endless. So yeah, yeah, that's good to hear. So do you guys think that's where our focus should be in 2021 to continue these efforts for advocacy, for, um, for, for a call to action as civilians? Um, yeah. Is that what we should be focusing on, I guess, moving forward? Uh, I just to give a little shout out, Dan. You mentioned Lou. It's uh, Lou Jimenez from or Jimenez from the Unidentified Celebrity Review, and he's just had his uh, interview with Lou Elizondo as well. So Lou and Lou, um, Dave and Dan and Adam, they do the hard work in UAP media. Um, I I spend six months to do write one paragraph. So listen, that I'll always give those guys a shout out. Is doing all the hard work. They are literally the brains and and the work behind it. I just come along now and again and do a podcast uh, so uh, the guys deserve the props and the writing and the work they're doing to get contact lists together are all absolutely phenomenal so I, that's just my thank you to those guys that, that do all that um yeah what they've said about contacting representatives either side of the the you know the ocean is, is fantastic for for me though as well as all of that i i tend to think in next steps for me the task force report is the, the next thing um that's that's going to give us a, a platform to potentially launch off of for for either side, you know, or worldwide. To be honest, depending on what is in or not in that report, let's just go forward. Is there an extension? Is it a report that then announces a further report? Is it a report that potentially comes out and it's a little bit of a, you know, uh, what is a condine report um, that basically just yeah. kills it dead again and tries to put it back in the box, which I doubt, but that that could happen. So for me, it's let's wait and see what happens with that. The the big phone home is fantastic. And for, for efforts like that, what we're not going to get, because let's be honest, if the New York Times coming out and announcing the US government had a UFO program and has a UFO program, doesn't get the, the general media on side, the big phone home won't do that. What it will do, though, is allow us to pick up more people to get involved in the topic. If 50 more people get involved, that's 50 more people buying books, downloading Dave's magazine, buying Outer Limits magazine, downloading podcasts, checking out Unidentified Celebrity Review, tuning into your shows, Ryan, you know, watching Mysteries Decoded. It just gets more people involved that weren't in the topic and the subject now that don't have those biases that some of the... And we talked about, and and I love guys like Philip Mantle and whatnot, but there there is a point, and we've talked about this on, I think, the roundtables with Dave and Dan before, that ufology forked off. And I said fork, sorry, in a Scottish accent, just before anyone worries. Um, there, there was a change, and I think ufology changed, that it's no longer the same. We're not talking about Roswell, and we're not always talking about Betty and Barney Hill, Calvin Parker, Travis Walton. These things all absolutely have their place. But in 2017, things changed in December 2017. And we have new modern cases. We have a new way to go that personally, this is just my belief, in three years, we have had more progress in this topic than we managed in the previous 75. I think what we're doing now is the way forward. People don't like that because at the moment the government's involved. We have former Under Secretary of Defence, Chris Mellon, involved. You've got Steve Justice, Lou Elizondo, and all these other people that they don't want to be involved in their topic and their subject. But this is a worldwide phenomenon, as as the saying goes. Yeah. So we need everyone to be involved in it, and a lot of people have to let go of their own little bubble um, to to kind of push things forward. So if we can get little pockets of people more and more involved, if just one person takes up UAP Media's website and downloads that form and sends it off to someone, that's a success. Yeah. If that was all it ever achieved, that would be a success. 
Absolutely, man. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I'll just add to that. Um, it seems that there's, there's the old guard of ufology, these people who I respect immensely and have put so much time and effort throughout the decades of, um, you know, recording reports and getting everything going. And then, you know, then the next guard comes and builds off of their work and so on and so on. And I think what we've seen in the past few years is uh, once that New York Times article hit um, and UFO Twitter really started, um, you started seeing people you've never seen before getting involved in this topic and having their own thoughts and opinions. And I think a lot of the the people who've been doing this for years, they felt a little guarded, like, who are you? Where are you coming out all of a sudden with, with all this and this and that? And I think there was kind of um, a tension there. And you would have these these people who were on the older side of this field of study being like, I'm not going to trust this guy from intelligence or this guy from so-and-so because they burned us so much in the past. And I completely understand that. What I think has changed is um, I I don't see that. I don't see that with Chris Mellon. I don't see that with Lou Elizondo, that they're out to disinform the public. It's kind of like a Rick Doty or something would do. Um, I honestly think these are individuals who see see an opportunity, you know, that they have some knowledge of what is going on and that that should be shared with the public. So let's embrace that and let's get younger people involved instead of telling them they're idiots because they don't know what Roswell was or or what Rendlesham was. Um, let's embrace that. I mean, I'm talking to a, a, a high schooler this week um, who reached out to me and said, I'm doing a paper about UFOs in school and I would love to interview you. And again, those are moments that like literally make me emotional. If I'm not already being a uh, person in theater, um, that almost brought a tear to my eye that like someone in high school is going to be writing a paper about UFOs because of what you've done and you've done and you've done. And so many people have been doing for these past few years of getting this topic out there and it's reaching people in other nations, in, um, in, in high school. And that's incredible because it's not something that we're used to seeing in this field, a field of, you know, people 50 and above, you know, for so long. Um, so I think it's exciting, um, everything that's going on. And you have tech-savvy people who can make that advocacy something truly powerful on the internet as well. So um, again, I've talked too much. <laughs> Anyone else have anything to add to uh, what should we do in 2021 when it comes to UAP? Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, the reason that we launched the website when we did with very little content on there at the moment is because we had an interview with Lou Elizondo. And we wanted to get that out and promote that on UFO Twitter because we knew that, you know, UFO Twitter is the right audience for that interview. And I think, you know, Adam conducted it. He got in touch with Lou and it's kind of got people aware of us. But over the next, you know, few weeks and few months, there's going to be a lot more content going up. There's going to be a lot more articles. What we haven't done yet is done a big hit on the UK press people because, you know, we want to get more content up up there. You know, we're putting the videos which are going to be on the end UAP secrecy G drive. We're going to put some of those up so people you know, can just watch them and they they can watch them in context. There's going to be, you know, Adam's writing an article at the moment on the five pillars, which Lou mentioned in Andy's interview earlier this week. Um, and that's kind of 
going to form part of our strategy going forward as well. Um, there's going to be, you know, articles. We're going to do like timelines. Um, so like the main events from ufology over the years. So people can just go, you know, the people who haven't encountered ufology before, it's somewhere where they can see, oh, this happened in, you know, 1947. This happened in, you know, 1952. You know, those kind of things. And if the press want to get in touch with us and they want an article from people who know about this stuff rather than scrabbling around and trying to do it themselves and coming across as unknowledgeable or incorrect, you know, delivering incorrect information as they did when reporting on Black Vault's CIA files story right. the other week, right. um, which I know John Greenwald addressed himself. Um, you know, we want to be the place where, you know, the UK press or, you know, even academic institutions or public organisations come to to get the information that they want to disseminate to other people themselves. You know, if they want us to write articles, we'll write articles for them. You know, it's not going to be a problem. You know, yeah. but we're not there to preach. We're there to offer assistance. Which I you think may, is going to be that going forward. Exactly. And they need it, man. And it's the same here in the United States. Like, you see one wrong thing misquoted. Like, CIA <laughs> releases all their UFO files. And that's what they pick up and regurgitate. Mm. And it's wrong. It's yeah. wrong because it's not accurate. And then you have someone like Greenwald who put in decades of work on this being like, um, actually, like, I had kind of a big role in all that. <laughs> and I spent, um, you know, countless hours putting all these things online. So, yeah, I, I think it's great because I think we live in a world now where the mainstream media just recycles everything and steals from everyone else. And yeah. it's unfortunate. And I think... um. You know, they just want the story out as quick as possible. So if they have an outlet like what you guys are doing, um, they can go to it and be like, all right, cool. We got it. Let's put it here. Um, I think that's awesome. So and getting the right information out there, too, is important. So I think that's really cool. You guys are putting together like a timeline because, I mean, there's going to be people who listen or watch this episode and they're going to hear names they've never heard before dates that um they don't care about and it's a lot it's a lot for people to handle who aren't embedded into this topic like the the five of us are um so if it's accessible i think that's what's most important um so yeah i can't wait to see everything you guys got going on there but last question of the night and i want your honest opinions on this wandavision we got to talk about it. What do you guys think about WandaVision? Dan, I see you. You, you seem like you're <laughs> chomping at the bit, man. Uh, I'm a ginormous Marvel nerd. Um, so I could waste another two hours theorizing. <laughs> um, but it, it's an amazing show. It's refreshing. It's something different. I think having, having a year not doing anything at all um, has done wonders for Marvel. Um, and I'm super, super, super excited to see where it's going to go. Cool. Anyone else want to chime in? Well, yeah, I mean, me and uh, Dan were talking about it on Friday, I think, after you watched the episode. Um, we have considered doing like that Marvel podcast as a spinoff from that UFO podcast. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I see that grin on Andy's face. He's like, you. <laughs> He's going to go copyright it right now. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, like Dan said, it is refreshing, you know, to see them try something different that, you know, ultimately is going to 
end up pushing it in a brand new direction, which is kind of going to get in a new audience as well. Yep. I Same with all, ufology. Yeah, <laughs> all these stories are just going to come together and they're going to come to a head in, was it Spider-Man 3 and Doctor Strange 2? And, you know, then we're going to get the start of phase six and a half or whatever it is now. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> Anything to add, Andy? No, I don't watch it. No, I, I, <laughs> I, no, I do, I do. Um, yeah, I, I I love it. Um, it got panned in the run-up to it. Um, a bit like when I went on Reddit to see people talk about my interview with Lou before it had been uploaded. Um, so, yeah, it <laughs> was... Don't pa- do that. Don't oh, go it, to it Reddit. Was, it, it was my first little foray into it, and I thought it was hilarious. I was texting Dan and Dave about it. Um, no, I, I got panned in the run-up, so I was really wary. And I, I think it only took five minutes of the first episode, and I was intrigued. But then in the last scene of the first episode, I was hooked. Um, I'm up to date with it now. I am not like Dan, Dan and Dave. I think know a lot more of the background than I maybe would. I watch. I've seen all the Marvel movies. I've started watching this. I don't know about the history and the comics and potential arcs they might be borrowing from. Right. So I like when Dan puts something up on on Twitter about it, and then he's obviously got more of a knowledge where they can shape people's answers <laughs> and responses. Ah, but what what about? And that that really I like that. It's it's amazing piece of television. Very um very original as well. So yeah. Yeah, I think we need it right now for sure. Something to make us think, and I think they're doing that. Um, well, I guess kind of wrapping things up, guys. Um, you know, we talked about UAP Media UK at length, um, so everyone please go check out the website. Um, but I want to know what you guys are up to individually. So um, this is your time to shine. Dave, let's start with you, my man. Um, tell us what you got going on over at Shadow Magazine and everything else you're up to, brother. Okay, well, the next issue I am currently working on. Um, I have two more interviews to do in the next week. Uh, one's with Ryan Bledsoe, and the other is with Steve McDaniel and Richard Hoff of Skyhub. Um, there's going to be a big Skyhub feature, which will include Jerry McGowan and Chris Cogsworth as well, who, um, you know, Chris Cogsworth kind of, he's more the software side of Skyhub, so it was really good to talk to him. Um we got there's an interview with Chris Bledsoe and Nick Cook, as I've already mentioned. I mean, moving forward, I'm currently working on getting a guest editor for a future issue, which is going to be very exciting. Um, and that is being kept under wraps until I've actually confirmed it. But yeah, that, that's going to be great. If if that comes off, that's going to be absolutely fantastic for the whole UFO community. I think. Um, oh, I and yeah, I'm trying to arrange, well, I'm in the process of arranging a big interview with the guys behind the Untitled, well, the Untitled UAP project. So Jeremy McGowan, um, Justin Tandy, uh, Jake Mann, um, Sean Cahill as well. I'm going to try and get them all together and like, you know, just talk about the project before it actually hits our screens. So yeah, there's um, a few good things in the offing, definitely. Awesome, brother. And what's the website again, if you don't mind sharing? Uh, shadowsmagazine.co.uk all issues can be downloaded for free in pdf format so perfect you know just trot on over there after this if you want thanks my man um dan let's move to you my man you've got a store tell us all about it and um yeah give us the give us the rundown on that uh yeah so i i have a store where i put up bits of i guess ufo inspired art 
Um, it was something I started as a bit of a lockdown project because I've always loved doing it. I've just never shared it. So I thought, huh, maybe I should. And it went pretty well because everyone's really lovely. And uh, <laughs> yeah, um, it also, you know, it, it's really to help the cause to, to, you know, if someone's out there wearing a T-shirt with these things on or they've got them on their cars, maybe they'll start a conversation. And that's what this is about. Um, currently, I'm working on turning the art I did for Jeremy McGowan and the entire UAP guys. Um, into a patch like the one you see there on your screens on the left. Um, so I'm, yeah, today, literally, I was looking at final designs for it. So they they should be with me and I should be sharing those with people in the next few weeks. And uh, yeah, you'll be able to get your own then. Awesome, my man. And Andy, let's finish with you, my man. What do you got going on at that UFO podcast? If I can steal 10 seconds, though, just to say, uh, genuinely, Dan, please check out his store because some of his artwork, uh, all of it's incredible. And that post that I've got in the background uh, is something I've bought myself from from Dan's store. Um, he puts in so much effort and it comes from a genuinely good place as well. Uh, and I don't think anyone in the subject uh, of ufology puts in the work that Dave does on his own to that magazine. Um, it, it's it's ridiculous. You, you genuinely wouldn't believe he does that himself and have a family and work and, and everything. So that, that deserves to be downloaded and, and read, uh, people. Um, so, yeah, uh, my podcast uh, is, is on there. So um, th- these guys help me out. Dan helps me out massively with the technical side of it, which I, I bug him on a regular basis to to learn more and more so I can take some of the stream from um, interviews I've got coming up. Uh, D- Danny Silva, I've just recorded with today. That's available on the Patreon, early access, patreon.com forward slash that UFO podcast. Um, and then a couple of weeks, I've got Ryan Bledsoe, uh, David Marler, Mark O'Connell, I think's just been on your podcast as well, Ryan, uh, Mark O'Connell. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the coming months, uh, I, I'm just waiting to confirm, but I should have Brandon Fugel and George Knapp um, both coming on uh, in the near future as well. So very much looking forward to speaking with them. Awesome. Yeah, you got some good ones coming up, brother. And I know a lot of people, they, they, uh, they watch your show and my show, and they're like, Oh, they're like, it's like a race to see who gets the guest first. But I want to tell people it's, that's not how it goes. Like we, we have the same press people we deal with, um, you know, whatever's kind of in the zeitgeist, we're both kind of always, you know, looking for what, what comes next. So um, if anything, I love that we have kind of that friendly competitive, competitive nature, you know, of like, okay, he's going to interview him about this. I'll interview him about that or he or she. So I think that's what's really cool about what you're doing as well. I think there's um, a lot to be said for uh, UFO podcasting and those out there who are doing it. And we all kind of just do our own thing and um, and share information. I know when I was interviewing Lou, I wanted to know what you were going to talk about. So I wouldn't, you know, we wouldn't do that sort yeah. of thing. So, yeah, I think that's what's really cool is instead of um, – you know, working against each other, we're all working together for sure. You've been great with me as well, Ryan. From from very early on, you've you've helped me out with a lot of, of advice and stuff, and and you were really good when that my podcast a baby in terms of UFO podcast. Still, it's less than a year old, but you you messaged me twice in a couple of weeks early on when I had guests that you had coming up that I didn't know you hadn't even announced them to say I'm honestly not copying you, but I have <laughs> this guest booked in as well. And then since then, the same things happened with me where. But Mark O'Connell, I arranged, and then a week later, I saw you had them on. So it is just, but we've got different styles, and I love listening to yours. It helps me, it genuinely helps me shape 
my questions and I ask Dan to help me with the wording sometimes and I use Dave's work for research. So it's the, the community can really help each other and everyone should borrow and, you know, ask everyone for advice, but make your own decisions and make up your own mind. So, yeah, it definitely works for me. Yeah, it's why I don't do a podcast because I can't keep up with everyone. <laughs> I know. There's too much. There's too much. But no, man, I think you, you touched on it. Like um, this community is is big and it's small. And uh, I think if we just build each other up and work together, that's when we're truly going to accomplish things. And that's no more prevalent than what you guys are putting together with UAP Media UK and your individual projects as well. So um, I have to thank you guys for taking the time to do this tonight, um, for allowing us a glimpse into uh, your personal thoughts and beliefs on all this. And uh, I have no doubt that with you guys doing what you're doing, and so many other awesome people out there in UFO Twitter and um, and not on Twitter. You know, everyone has a part in it. And um, thank you. Thank you for allowing us a glimpse into all of your lives tonight. And thank you for coming on Somewhere in the Skies, all three of you, for the very first time. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Skies is produced by Third Kind Productions in association with the Entertainment One Podcast Network. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.